Lord, we come before you this morning with hearts that are full of thanksgiving and praise. Lord, to think that we could come into the presence of our very God and that you would speak to us. And so we, we know, Lord, that we oftentimes are, we don't always hear you. Sometimes our minds are so distracted with, with other things. But God, we pray that today that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds and our wills to receive your word by faith. Oh God, help us. You know that we are a people who need you. We need to understand what you have given to us, what you have done for us. And Lord, this passage is such a glorious passage and I pray that you would enable me to speak it truthfully and clearly. And Lord, for us as your people to receive it. We thank you and pray this in your name and for the sake of your glory. Amen. You know, when you, when you hear Christians speak of the way that God has blessed them, uh, it seems like almost always it has to do with God's physical blessing or his material blessings. And, and God does bless us that way. As a matter of fact, if you look back at the Old Testament, you see that really quite a bit of the blessings that God's people, the Israelites, received were, were very tangible, very physical blessings. Whether that be in the way that God provided food for them, I think of the manna in the wilderness that the Lord provided, uh, or whether it was protection that God gave them as enemy armies would come against them. And sometimes God, in the most extraordinary ways, would uh, show his protection. He would have the men hold Moses' arms up, or, or sometimes he would send a group of singers out in front of the army to sing praises to God, and the army would scatter, or he would part the Red Sea. I mean, there's just all these different ways that God would do that. But nonetheless, he protected them. Even in the inheritance that God gave to his people Israel, it was the promised land. And as a matter of fact, God's blessings are, are so material in the Old Testament that there are even those in the church today who have wrongly misinterpreted those things to teach a prosperity gospel. To preach that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that you ought to just you know, bombard the throne of grace and, and ask for such things. But even in the New Testament as well, we see God's physical blessings. You look at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about the birds of the air and the, 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 the flowers of the field. And, and he says, don't worry about these material blessings. God will give you these things that you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. But there's also a sense in which many of the physical blessings and realities of the Old Testament have now been realized in the fullness in the New Testament. And so Paul and other writers of the New Testament speak of the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in our passage today. But I think there's a challenge there for us as Christians. You know, the challenge is that these blessings, because they are spiritual sometimes seem abstract for us because they're not physical, they're not tangible, they're not things that we can touch and smell and taste and, and feel. And so for many Christians, and maybe even for us, we don't understand how we are to walk in the reality of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at what it means for God's children to be blessed as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. 
And the first thing we see is Paul talks about this, or the first thing I want you to notice is the source of our blessings. Where does our blessings come from? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And so, of course, obviously it is God who has blessed us. And when he blesses us, what he's doing is, is he's doing us good. He's giving us something wonderful and fantastic. When we bless God, it's interesting, you know, Paul sort of starts out that way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless God with our words, but when God blesses us, he blesses us with his deeds, with the things that he does. Now, what are those deeds that God has done for his church? Well, if you could read Greek, and maybe some of you can, but if you go back and look at the Greek in verses 3 through uh, 14, you'll notice it's just one long sentence. It's like 202 words. Now, I don't know, kids, what your teachers would do, but I'm guessing if you wrote a sentence that long, you would probably get marked down on your paper for rambling on too long, right? But, but the Apostle Paul, he does. He just goes on and on and on. But he's doing that to paint this glorious picture of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has done for his people, the church. And so we look at these verses, and as we do, it's, uh, I want you to see that God in his three persons, and yet in his oneness, the triune God, has provided everything that we need for salvation. And so we see the work that the Father does in verses 4 through 6, and the work that the Son does in verses 7 through 12, and the work that the Holy Spirit does in verses 13 through 14. And you can divide this up different ways. One of the ways to, to sort of... Uh, classify this as to say that the Father planned, he had this plan of salvation, and that Jesus Christ put that plan into in action. He actually redeemed the people uh, that God had uh, chosen for himself, and then the Holy Spirit then comes and he applies that salvation to those people. Another way or classification might be to say that it talks about salvation past, present, and future. But Paul takes us into the very throne room of the Trinity to see the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's all being master planned even before the world began. Now, we're not going to get to that till next week, but that's just an amazing uh, idea and truth that I can't wait to look at next week. And, and we're part of that if we're part of the church. And so I'm saved today, Rick Franks, and being saved today because God planned me into the church before the world began. And if you are a son or a daughter of the king, he has done the same for you as well. And so no wonder that Paul starts out this uh, verse by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless God because of what he's done. But we also need to understand the source of, of our salvation because I think sometimes as Christians, we can find ourselves focusing only on one person of the Trinity or only a couple of people in the Trinity when it comes to our salvation. And so it might be that we focus upon Christ, that he paid the penalty for our sins. And then we also wrongly conclude that the Father is merely watching us and that he's just waiting for us to slip up. And so that he will have the opportunity to chastise us. Do you know Christians like that? I mean, there are Christians that sort of walk around with the idea that, you know, they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I know God has blessed me now, but you know what? I don't know what's 
coming. Or maybe other Christians who so overemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit that the work of the Father and the Son can almost seem like an, an afterthought. But I want us to see this morning that God in His fullness has made a covenant with Himself since before the creation of the world to not only purchase a people for Himself, but He promises to keep that people and preserve that people and to give them an inheritance that will last for all eternity. And so if you are here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this ought to cause you great opportunity to worship, to see that God has so loved His people so much and He holds them so securely in His hands. And so we come to worship and to praise Him. So God is our source, but what, what is the nature of the blessings that we receive? How, how much blessing does he give us? Well, Paul says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now that word translated spiritual doesn't mean spiritual as opposed to, to physical in the sense that it might mean sort of a, a mental blessing or even like I used it in the opening illustration, a material versus spiritual what it does mean is something attached to the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Greek word is always used in the New Testament to refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. He blesses us with all that is possible to be dispensed to us through the agency of the Spirit of God. And so we see here, even in this verse, even in that, the Trinity, uh, even if we don't read verses 4 through 14, uh, he talks about, uh, here, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, and then the spiritual blessings, or the blessings that come to us through the Holy Spirit. So he blesses us with all that's possible to be dispensed to us through the agency of the Spirit of God. And you know, uh, as we come before the Lord today, it's funny sometimes, maybe even ridiculous for Christians not to think that they have any resource when it comes to living life. If you would, turn with me to Second Peter. And I want you to, to stay there just a moment for this next little bit. But Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And Peter says, as he's speaking to the church, he said, His, of course, this is God, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need in life and godliness, God has given to us. Everything that you are facing this week, all the, the challenges that stand before you, all the, the, the busyness in your schedule, all the things that you need to live life and godliness has been given to you. And I wonder if we understand that. I think sometimes even as Christians, we fall into the trap of the world that we have certain things that are before us, whether it's on our schedule, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's uh, 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 trials or difficulties that we're going through. And so we sort of sit down and we come up with a plan as best we can of how we're going to handle those things. And then we begin to work that plan. And then we might go to God and we might say, God, would you please... Help me in the midst of this. Lord, i got all these things i got to do. So I just need you to give me strength. And so that's oftentimes the way that we approach our life, that we sort of have the plan, and we just need God to sort of back that plan up and give us the energy. But he wants us to see that he has given us all the blessings that we need. 
He's not given us everything that we think we need to live for life and godliness, but everything that God knows that we need. He gives us his divine power. Now, think about this just for a moment. When we talk about the power of God, we might think, okay, that's pretty powerful. But no, we're, we're talking about the power where God spoke and everything was created out of nothing. That is the power by which he gives us all his blessings. It is the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that brought him back to life. You know, one of the things I think that we do so constantly as Christians is we ask God for what we already have. You know, have you noticed that? You know, because we don't know the resources that we have. We don't understand what God has has given to us. And so we come to him and we ask for peace or we ask for joy or we ask for all these things. And and oftentimes uh, they elude us because we don't. We don't appropriate them the way that God has called us to. Look back at Second Peter chapter 1 again. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. See, that is, comes to us through Christ, through God, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God has given us certain promises in his word. He has said, I have done this for you. And as we take those promises and we believe them by faith and we walk in them by faith, then we are partakers of the divine nature. And we're going to see in a minute that's because we are united with Jesus Christ and we have that shared life with him. And so there's no missing ingredient that we need in order to live our lives. God couldn't give you more than he's already given you in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that materially, if we talked about material possessions, we could go around the room and find out how God has blessed you materially. And I'm guessing that there would be quite a range, a variation, a range of the way that God has blessed us materially. But spiritually, we're the same in Jesus Christ. He has given us every blessing. He's not given more to Sylvia and less to Chris and, and more to Ryan. He's given us all the same that we might live in, in Christ. So all the spiritual blessings, all the good things that the Spirit can dispense have been dispensed to you in the presence of the indwelling Christ. They're ours. So it's not a question of finding something else or having more from God it's just a question of using what we've gotten. It's a sense of walking in His way, the way that He has called us to walk, to walk in the blessings that we have in Christ. So we ought not to go stumbling around saying, well, you know, I don't know that I can do this, or I don't know that I can do that, or life just seems so overwhelming. It is hard sometimes. I, I don't want to soft-pedal that. It is, life is difficult. But I want you to know that Christ has not left you alone. He has not said, here, I'll give you most of what you need. You just fill in the gaps. He has said that I can give you everything that will give you peace, that will give you joy, that will enable you to do that which I've called you to do. Sometimes I think we just sort of add to that and say, yeah, Lord, but I want to do this, 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 and this. But sometimes he's not called us to do those things. And so we, we sort of pile the burden upon ourselves 
rather than walking in the blessings, the freedom of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. So Christ, so God, is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our source. The nature is that he has given us spiritual blessings, but I want us to look at the location of those blessings because I think that's where we oftentimes get tripped up. Uh, look at verse 3 at the end. It says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places. Uh, some of your translations may say in the heavenlies. Now, Paul never really uh, spells out exactly what he means by this expression, heavenly places. But he does use it quite a bit, actually, just in the book of Ephesians. I mean, he uses it in other places as well. But look at Ephesians, in addition to verse 3 here, look down at verse 20 of chapter 1. He says that he has worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly places. And then look at chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly places. Ver uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what Paul has in mind here is the spiritual realm. The place that we don't see, the things that we can't touch, the things that we can't feel, but they are real nonetheless. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he was talking to Pilate in John 18.36. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Pilate was thinking that, well, where's, where's, your, where's your kingdom? I don't see it. And Jesus said, it's not here. And that's why Paul writes to us as the church in Colossians 3. And he says, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are where? Above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is already in the heavenly places in his glorified body. And if we are in Christ, then we are already in that realm with Christ and we have become sharers and participators in his life and in his blessings that come from him. Last week, kids, remember we talked about what it meant to be in Christ. We talked about the two giants, the one that was the first man, Adam, and the, the second one, which is Christ, and how they had all the belts and where everybody and humanity is hooked on one of those belts. And if we are in Christ and we have had faith in him, then we are his and we are partakers of the life that he is experiencing even now in heaven. We commune with God. Our Father is there. Our home is there. Our Savior is there. And that is where our blessings are found. Not in the realm of things that we can touch and feel, but our spiritual blessings are just as real as the material blessings that we experience here on this earth. And so as Christians... We live uh, sort of a, a paradoxical kind of two-level existence here on earth, and yet we are citizens in heaven. And when I say that about we're citizens, I don't just mean that's a status thing, that we you know, have a green card saying we're a citizen of heaven, but we are participants of the life that is there. It's a little bit like you know, you're an American, and you go overseas on vacation, right? 
You might go to Africa, you might go to Europe, you might go to Latin America, I don't know where you go. But when you go there, you were there in the culture and maybe in some ways you seek to, to fit in, but you just can't get away from the fact that you're an American. You talk like an American, you act like an American, and it's just that way. And in the same way for us as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. Just because you happen to be traveling in a foreign land here on this earth doesn't alter your citizenship one bit. You have all the rights and the privileges of belonging to a citizen in heaven. In fact, if you look at Ephesians 2, 6, it says that we are already seated in the heavenly places. And so there's a sense in which we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And that, that phrase has been overused so much, I think it just sort of bounces off of our head and we don't really hear what we're saying. But we actually have, we're like partakers in the life to come already to an extent because of our citizenship that's in heaven. So as Christians, the laws that we follow are in heaven. They are divine laws that we follow. The things that we love are from a different place than this world in which we live. Our affections are set there. I, this week I read a quote, and I won't quote it exactly, but A.W. Pink said that the difference between a true Christian and someone who only professes to be a believer is not the absence of sin, but it's the grieving over of that sin. It is seeing that sin in our lives and grieving over it. And that's the difference. You know, as, as Christians, you know, we see things from an eternal perspective because that's where our life is with Christ. And so as Christians, we can be in this world and we can even enjoy this world in the sense that God has created it. But we are, we are never to set our affections upon this world. Our world is never to be our vision is never to be conformed only to the things of this world. So sometimes we're going to feel that tension of the earthly and the heavenly. And that's why Paul oftentimes had these paradoxes in his life. You'll hear him say things like, I'm sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. I'm troubled on all sides, but I'm not distressed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. Because you see, it's that tension between these two worlds. And you may have nothing, and you may be poor in this world, but let me tell you that you are rich in Jesus Christ. So rich that it's unbelievable. I think it's interesting. Years ago, I, I read a story about a slave after the Civil War, and his owner, uh, before he died, gave that slave not only his freedom, but he gave him his inheritance, gave him his wealth as well as a slave owner. And so the, the slave owner went into the grocery store one day and he said, um, I understand I have credit here. He said, do you think I have enough that I could buy a five cent bag of flour? And the store owner's like, are you kidding me? You have so much wealth. It's unbelievable. Well, that slave bought that five cent bag of flour but he never came back in and spent the rest because he didn't understand the great wealth that he had. And I think, I wonder sometimes as Christians, if that's not the way that we are, that are, are, it's, it's so easy for us as Christians to miss out on the blessings because we are so tempted to be worldly minded that Satan and the world and even our flesh draws our affections towards the world until our citizenship in heaven seems only like a dream 
like something that doesn't even seem real. It's then that we begin to set our love and our desires more fully on the world. What about you this morning, Christian? Have you forgotten where your citizenship is? Do you know where your blessings are? Uh, Years ago when I was in college, a lot of years ago, uh, I went on an 18-day survival trip. And uh, as a matter of fact, my wife went on that same trip with me. And it was a trip where they, they took you out in the wilderness and they worked you hard. You hiked at least 10 miles a day. You, you uh, in addition to backpacking, you, you canoed and kayaked and rock climbed and just did all this, exerted all this energy. But they gave you very little food. And so you would end up with just a, a, a little bit to eat. And then in addition to that, as, as part of this experience, they would take you out at one point in time and take you out in the wilderness all by yourself where you couldn't see anybody else. And they would just leave you. You had a stream close by, so you could get water, but you had no food. You had your Bible, you had your journal and a pen. You also had sort of this tarp that you can make into a tent. And they said, we'll see you later. And they left. And you had no idea when they were coming back, or even if they were coming back. And I remember when I was in about the middle of uh, a three-day solo experience, when I was all by myself, I began to think to myself, this is now my reality. This is now what's real. You know, I, I'll probably never eat a decent meal again. Now, it, you know, if I, if I was really thinking, I would know that this is going to come to an end because many people have gone on discovery and many people have come off of discovery and they've lived to tell about it. But at that point in time, I began to think, I think this is my reality. And I wonder sometimes as Christians if that's not what we sometimes think as we live in this world. We look around at the things that we see and we think, this is my reality and what Paul wants us to see is, no, 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 Christian. This is not your reality. You're just traveling through this world. Your reality is, is that you are wealthy in Jesus Christ. And I think the other thing that Paul wants us to understand is not only is it in the heavenlies, and so we have that shared life, but it is a salvation that is secure. You're at 1 Peter 1, flip over to, or Second Peter 1, flip over to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And this is what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, guaranteed, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In other words, the salvation that we have, no one can take it away. God himself is guarding that salvation. And one day, he will reveal that to us as we close our eyes in death and we are ushered into his presence. And then... Peter goes on and he goes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, have not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy 
that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, as we come to the Lord's table today, do our hearts rejoice in the blessings of God that He has given to us? Are, are the words that we would express like that of the Apostle Paul, where we would say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the many blessings that He has given to us. Is our God not good? He is so good. Take just a moment, if you would, and let's meditate upon the word that we have heard this morning. Please bow with me. Oh, Jesus, we come to you today. We give you praise and worship. Oh, glory be to your name, Father. Hallelujah to you, Holy Spirit, as we think about the many blessings that have been given to us. Oh, Lord, it is so easy for us to become entrapped into the thinking and the ways of this world. But I pray that you would take the scales off of our eyes, much like cataracts, and allow us to see once again the glorious salvation that we have received. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are just rustling, that are just mired down in the mud of the ways of this world. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would set them free. Lord, for those that are struggling with sin, maybe secretly loving those things rather than despising their sin, and I pray that you would help them to see that there's a better way, there's a glorious way that it belongs to your children. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. And that, Father, that in that you would help us to tell others of you as well. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.